0: Let's take a listen to the video here this morning, and then I have a quick announcement before we start the uh, sermon this morning, so. Dude, I know you can get those type of videos on your phone. Totally. I don't know what I did before this.
1: It's better hope your wife never finds out.
0: It's not a big deal. Besides, she's been kind of not fun lately. Look, she's not going to find out. It doesn't matter as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Are you serious? God never said that. I'm sorry. Is this hurting you? (laughs)
1: Week
0: number one. Now we're going to get to the real business of today, not my family. Week number one, we looked at the cultural misbelief above all else. God wants everyone to be happy. Unfortunately, God never said that. Week two, we looked at the thing so that many people, we looked at the thing that may, so many people wrongly believe, and that is God will never give you more than you can handle. The truth is, God never said that. Next week is the final week, and I need to tell you it is a very, very special message that has moved me deeply, emotionally. It is a lie that it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you are sincere. For those of you that know somebody that may not be sure about what they believe, this is the perfect week to bring them. And I promise you it will build your faith in a really significant way. You will hear it all the time. Maybe you even said it or believe it. And that is this. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. God never said that. Today I want to dive into that reality of what Scripture teaches us about our behavior. Now to walk into a very serious subject, I want to reflect a little bit. If you think back to the time when Jesus lived, what do you think was the biggest cultural value? To go back during that time when Jesus lived, again, what do you think was the biggest cultural value? Well, it's totally up for debate. And I couldn't necessarily prove this, but I could make a very strong argument that the biggest cultural value during the time of life of Jesus was justice. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You do something wrong, you deserve to be penalized. If I ask the same question today, what is the biggest cultural value of our world today, you could make an argument that the biggest cultural value might be a word called tolerance. I mean, pretty strong argument in that case. What's interesting about it is even the definition of tolerance has massively changed over the last decade or so. Tolerance used to mean that all people have equal value. In other words, we're going, we're going to value people. Today though, tolerance has evolved to mean all ideas and all behavior have equal value. Even the definition of tolerance has changed. So much in our culture today that is wrong and unacceptable to ever say that behavior is wrong, that it's sinful. In fact, culturally, we've watered down and sanitized even what otherwise would be sinful terms and given more acceptable phrases to help us feel better. Isn't it true? I remember reading a book by Stephen Farrar called Finishing Strong. It's the one book that has changed my life drastically. It is a men's ministry book that if you are a man, I pray that you will get your hand on Finishing Strong by Stephen Farrar. It talks about how it doesn't matter how you start the race, it matters how you finish the race. And he actually says in there, we have changed words. We no longer call adultery, adultery. We call it affair. Because it sounds better. Sounds easier to swallow. I didn't have an adulterous relationship. I had an affair. We change sin's words because we want people to feel okay about themselves, even in spite of what they are doing. Look what Paul says to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3. And here's what he says. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Now, if that was written years and years and years ago, how much truer is it going to become in our day and age? People will no longer listen to sound teaching. They will no longer take advice from sound teaching. What they will do is they will find themselves stuck in wanting to hear what their itching ears desire. I want you to understand something. Sin is serious. Sin is real. Now, if you came this morning to be picked up, lifted up, and all those kind of things, you'll get there. (laughs) But I have to deal with the reality of what we're talking about. Did you see what was happening on the video? Sometimes they're hard to pick up. What was going on was in an office scenario, there was a guy watching a video that was not appropriate for a guy to watch. And all of his buddies get around him and they say, What if your wife found out that you were watching that video and his answer to them was, it doesn't matter what I do as long as I don't hurt no one. And how many of us have the same answer? doesn't matter what I do in the privacy of my own home as long as I don't hurt anyone. doesn't matter what I do in this culture that says that I can do whatever I want to do. It doesn't matter as long as I don't hurt no one. And we we almost quote it as if it's in Scripture. As long as I don't hurt anyone. The the problem is, and we're going to talk about this, is is that we have a heavenly Father who is holy, and it tells us to be holy as He is holy. And there is this one issue with this entire quote that it doesn't matter what I do as long as I don't hurt anyone. You are hurting someone. He's there. He sees it. And if you don't think you heard him, talk to Jonah about that sometime. Ask Jonah how hide and seek goes with God. It doesn't really work. He doesn't, he doesn't let you win. He's kind of a poor sport that way. He's everywhere. He knows what's going on. If you're taking notes, I want to talk about three cultural misbeliefs about sin and look what God really did say. And here's your first notes. It's in your bulletin on that bright sheet of paper. Number one, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. I may take some and make some mistakes. I might be, a, I might, I'm not a bad person. And the reality is, is this simply is not true. In fact, in 1 John 1.8, as Debbie said in her prayer, listen to what it says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So automatically, when we start with this cultural belief that I'm not a bad person, automatically, you know, and I've had discussions with people in my ministry where, where it is amazing. You know, my, I, I literally had a lady at a, at a community fun fest-like event at my previous church that got into a discussion about why she needs Jesus. And here's her comment. My parents were in love when they made us, us kids. So we don't have sin in our lives because they were married and they were in love when they made us. Excuse me. So dad was a sinner. Mom was a sinner. And I don't have to do the birds and the bees talk with you this morning. They get together and they make a perfect person. So two wrongs do make a right. Right. All this time I've been telling my dad, that's just not the way it works, dad. When we have discussions about that kind of stuff. Two wrongs don't make a right. I'm not a bad person, pastor. I I don't go out and kill people. I certainly don't do what some others have done. If we compare ourselves to other people, we may be tempted to say that I'm really not that bad. Listen, it's it's real. There is a temptation there. Look, Michelle and I, as I said on Tuesday, we went someplace that uh, is humbling to say the least. And as you sit there in Berks County Prison waiting for somebody to come and visit you, you begin to think to yourself, and, and Debbie works there, so she probably has become immune to this, but when you're walking in, you're saying to yourself, I get to walk out of here after this visit. I must be a pretty good person. She doesn't. He doesn't. And the temptation is, is that you can become so high on yourself and so up into your nose, up to your nose to people, that you begin to say to yourself, I must be a pretty good person because I don't live there. I certainly would have never done that. What God wants to remind us of this morning is is that in Romans 3:10 it says very clearly there's no one righteous not even one. Not even one. I personally argue I personally Um, sometimes argue with Michelle. Now, please don't pass out. You know when I usually argue with her the most. Let me tell you when I usually argue with her the most. Pretty much just before I do a marriage counseling session or a sermon on relationships and how they're supposed to work. Here's why that happens. I'm convinced. Because God doesn't want me to walk into that marriage session saying, mine's perfect. What's your problem? He humbles us. And so just before that marriage session, and I'm not talking about knockdown, down, drag out fights. Here, here I am showing you that I don't want you to compare yourself to me. But the reality is is that there's times when friction comes and we have to deal with that friction. And usually it's right before a marriage counseling session or right before I do a sermon on relationships and how relationships are so need to work. And God reminds me that mine isn't perfect either because we're both sinners. So please understand that God wants us to be reminded every once in a while. I'm not going to preach on this every week because this would be a downer. I remember telling people that once, and they they were like, whoa, even the pastor doesn't always have a perfect response for everything? Correct. Because Romans 3.10 tells you there's not one that sits in this room that is so righteous that they can just go to God and say, I don't need Jesus' atonement for His blood. I don't need any of that. Not one. So that's a good place to start. We're all at the foot of the cross just pleading. The second cultural misbelief about sin is this, and this one is very dangerous. All sin is the same. (laughs) Now listen to me. I have gone round and round with this thing this week, and I probably haven't even nailed to half of it. And so if you hear something this morning and you're like, Pastor, I'd really, really like to have a chance to talk to you about that, please come and talk to me about it because... I have wrestled with this one. And in Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How many of you have been sitting in a place where you have been sharing with someone, and they all of a sudden, you're sharing the good news of Jesus, and they use these words, Who are you to judge me? What I'm doing is no worse than what you're doing. All sin is the same. God never said that. What well, we need to understand, and please hear me clearly, the Bible doesn't teach that all sin is exactly the same. Now don't miss this. All unforgiven sin does lead to eternal death, period. Period. In fact, Paul said this in Romans 6.23, which I read for you you earlier. It's death, any type of sin. If you want to define it as a little sin or a big sin or whatever kind of sin, any type of unforgiven sin leads to death. The good news is, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For instance, let me give you an example under this. You're driving one day, and you're about to get on the highway, and you cut this poor soul off in the, behind you, you just turn your car right out in front of somebody. They fly by you, and they give you the universal sign of God's love. You know what I'm talking about. They tell you you're number one. They say, this is the way to heaven, you know, and they do all those things to you. Now you drive down the road and they, and they continue to give you that signal and they continue to tell you how number, you're number one in their life and they continue to do all these things. That's sin. Now I may be stepping on toes this morning, but it is sin to give the universal sign for love. To tell someone they're number one. Sin. Same scenario. You're getting on Route two twenty two, you cut another person off, and the same the, the different person and they fly up beside you and they pull a gun out and they shoot you. You gotta tell me that's the same? You wanna argue about that? Sure, giving the finger is sin. Murdering somebody is sin. You see, how we live influences a few things. Here's what it influences it influences consequences on earth. How we live influences our consequences on earth. It's important. I sometimes believe the church needs to stop arguing about what Jesus said and actually do what Jesus said. I get tired of debating, did Jesus mean this or did Jesus mean that or did Jesus mean this? Let's get to the point and let's go out and do what Jesus told us to do. And what did He tell us to do? He told us to grow His disciples, grow up in the Lord, and He told us to reach others for Him. Those are the two things that were main on His agenda. Those are what He told us to do. Let's quit talking about, let's go deeper with this, let's, let's talk about this, let's talk about that. And, and, and they're important subjects. Like, for instance, I hear all the time, let's do a study on the end times. That's great and wonderful. And we will do a study on the end times sometime. But let me tell you something. Someday it's all coming to the end. And the reality is what you did for Christ is going to stand. And what you didn't do for Christ is going to be burned up. And so you can, you can believe in pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, all these different tribulation theories. You can believe in all of them. You can believe in whatever you want to I'm not downplaying them. What I'm saying is, it doesn't change our reaction to here and now. Doesn't. Can't. Number two, changes our rewards in heaven. Our rewards in heaven. How we live now impacts what happens in heaven. See, I think in our culture of Little League where now everybody's a winner. We sometimes think of that in heaven. Let me be clear on this. You know, everybody's a winner. Nobody can be called the loser anymore because of tolerance. Don't you dare call my son the loser even though he came out on the short end of the stick because he's not a loser. He's a winner just like everybody else. So give him his, just as big a trophy as you do the champion. And we start thinking as Christians, that's the way heaven will be. God will just hand them out. Doesn't matter if you didn't do Jack for him. You'll get just as much for that person who gave 30 years of his life for him. See, that's that's dangerous. How we live influences what happens And then number three, it also influences punishment in hell if you were so to not come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And for those that might be here this morning that maybe this is your first service or maybe you haven't heard this before, let me just explain to you, Freddie had to hear it for the first time this week. Michelle had the opportunity to share with Freddie. Freddie says, so now in a second, Michelle, while they're traveling in the car, this was an awesome experience, he says... So, not everybody goes to heaven? Nobody. You have to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says, in order to get to heaven. You want to know what a four year old's response to that was? And I better do that when I get home. Let me tell you there's no grandchildren, there's no great grandchildren. You know, I grew up in a church. I told you that I went to church even before I was alive. Now, how does that work? Well, I was alive, but I wasn't out walking around. I was in my mother's womb, and I went to church, and I continued to go to church since that day until now for 40 years. Around year 30, I began to think, or around year 25, let me say it that way. Around year 25, I began to think, I must be pretty good. I mean, how is God really going to reject me at this gate? Because I've been in church for 25 years at that time. It was at Baptist Bible College. Don't shoot me because I know we're not Baptist. But it was at Baptist Bible College where a message was preached. And after 25 years of living a lie, I said it's time to get serious with Jesus. I live the lie that he'll take me in on my parents' coattails. Certainly he could not turn down a boy who has grown up and given so much to the church. If you're living that lie, please respond to him. Because he's not going to sit there and listen to your debate of how you gave so much to church. It's about a relationship with him. Period. It's not about what Craig and Lynette Kindig did. It's not about what your parents did if you're teenagers here this morning. They can't do anything for you. you must make the decision on your own. Let me look at a couple of Scripture passages that kind of back up this thinking of sin is not all the same. In Luke chapter 20, verse 47, it says the following words. It will be on the next screen here. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. In other words, here's what they're doing. They're taking advantage of those whom the churches were called to serve and to love and to help. The Pharisees were devouring widows' houses, and for a soul they make lengthy prayers. God evidently hates that type of hypocrisy, and Scripture says these men will be punished. And what does it say? Punished how? Severely. This isn't just punishment. These men will be dealt with and dealt with severely. In other words, this implies there might be a less severe punishment for some people, some actions. There might be a more severe punishment for others. And then Jesus says to Pontius Pilate in John chapter nineteen, verse eleven. He said, Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Implying there's a lesser sin. And there is definitely a greater sin. Then in 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul says these words, Run from sexual sin. No other sin is so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. In other words, there's a different consequence to this sin than there would be to other ones. He says for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And it's just begging you, don't... And you don't you you know your body was purchased by the shed of the blood of Jesus. So flee sexual sin. All the other sins he says fight, resist, but not this one. Don't even try to fight it. He says if he was speaking in a movie language, he says run, forest, run, run all you can run, get out of there. It is a sin that will destroy you. Don't even try to fight it. Just go. Put your running shoes on. Stretch a little bit before you run. Stretch a little bit and take off. Because it's that serious. It will destroy you. It will destroy everything about you. And yet, we still have people who say, it doesn't matter what I do, as long as I don't hurt anyone. The third biggest cultural, big cultural lie that so many people believe and quite honestly, in a church this size, there are many of you who are believing this right now. Here it is. Since I've already done it, I might as well keep doing it. Look, Pastor, I'm involved in this sin, and you have no clue what you're talking to this morning because you don't know it. It's in my closet I have the lights off in the closet. I have the door locked. It's a closet sin, but I know that I have it. And here's my point, Pastor. I'm already doing it, so why should I stop now? Why not keep doing it? Well, you see, evidently, thousands of years ago, that problem was just as real as it is today. Because the Apostle Paul asked the very pressing and relevant question. And here it is in Romans 6.1. It says, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more of His wonderful grace? There's the question. And in America, we hear it now. Hey, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already in it. We heard it on Tuesday. You know, I was so far in, and I just kept on doing it because I just keep on doing it because you know I just i have already done it. Why should I stop now? And then in the church, it hyper, it gets hyper because here's why: because we say, well. Now in a second, every time I sin, I experience God's grace. So shouldn't I just keep on sinning so I keep on experiencing God's grace so I can feel good about myself? And notice what Paul Paul's Paul's, Paul's response is. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Of course not. Why would we continue to go back into that which hurts the heart of God? Hurts our own lives. And that's the idea of today's sermon. Is not to make you walk out of here like dogs with your tails between your legs. And I know what that looks like because we often have to punish our dog. And she walks around, oh, I'm a loser, me. Until we call her into the living room and say, oh, Bentley, you're the best dog in the world. Then she wags her tail. Or we play real games with her, and we say you're the dumbest dog in the world, and she just starts wagging her tail. She thinks she's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and she runs out of there, and she's all happy. She grabs the tennis ball she wants to play. I don't want you walking out of here like dogs between with tails between your legs. I want you to walk out of here remembering where you've come from, what has happened in your past. And understanding that you don't want to go back there. Look, I I did a lot of things in high school that I'm not proud of. And I think about those things and I go back to them and I say to myself, why would I ever want to go back there? Yet I feel the magnetic pull of going back there. I want to go back because, you know, there's something easy about doing that kind of lifestyle. I didn't have so much responsibility and so much accountability. What Paul's saying here is, listen, don't keep on sinning because God's going to forgive us anyway. Of course not. You know better than that. God has something so much better for you. Since I've already done it, I might as well keep on doing it anyway. Here is what's so interesting to me. I hear this sometimes at church. I just want to go deeper. Can we just go a little bit deeper, Pastor? Here's what I'm quite honestly going to say to you this morning. I'm all for going deeper. You want to go deeper? Let's take the scriptures and dive as deep as we can. But can I tell you what blesses the heart of God? Doing what he says. Here's my fear. Sometimes we say, Pastor, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. And we leave these doors on Sunday morning and we don't do what He says. You want to go deeper? Start out there. You want to go deeper? Start living for Him out there. We'll go deeper in Bible study. But I will tell you this, just because you can answer the Bible category on Jeopardy doesn't mean you're living for Jesus. You can have all the answers in the world. Knowledge does not equal living for Jesus. Heart does. And you say, Pastor, that sounds like what Timothy Keller said on the video. Yeah. because You see, I was challenged this week in my office. Are we going to be a church that's going to fill people with knowledge so they can go out and answer trivia questions and woe the crowds? Are we going to be a church that's going to take gospel into life and do something with what we're learning? That's the choice. Look, I can fill you with knowledge all I want on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. But that's not going to change this world. You're just going to be a smarter Christian. And by the way, our nation is kind of already one of the smartest. Why? Because we can pull out just about anywhere the Bible. You can go to Hackman's Bible Bookstore in Allentown and there's 30 different translations. There are countries that fight for one page of it. See, the reality is, friends, that we have to do what we're asking or what he's asking us to do. Spiritual maturity is not just knowledge, it's being transformed by the grace of God and then going deep with people out there. I can't tell you how many times I've received text messages saying, Pastor, I'm sharing the gospel with this person at my work, and they're challenging me. That same person might come to me on Sunday morning and say, I want to go deeper in the Bible. You want to go deeper in the Bible? Go reach that workmate. Remember the one you told me is challenging you? She or he will make you go deeper. She'll challenge you. They'll grow you. Because they're not going to take the pat answers. They're not going to just take Jesus as the answer. They want to know how and why. If you need help with that, I will gladly sit down and help you with that. But you see, spiritual maturity is not just about knowledge. The problem is most Christians in our culture today are educated way beyond their level of obedience. Let that sink in. And if you think that this is just something that Pastor Brett came up with, let me tell you, I had a seminary prof in seminary by the name of Dr. Ken Miller who used to tell me the problem with the church today, and this was way before I came to be Faith Church's pastor, he used to tell us every class, the problem with the church today is we don't think. None of us. Even the pastors. problem with the church today is we don't do. We just want to be fed with information. Even the pastor So please see the falsehood of believing that, well, I've already done it. I might as well keep on doing it. I mean, it's a tragedy today how many people call themselves followers of Jesus and just consistently walk back into the same sin. Back in, back in. And they rationalize it and they justify it. And it says not... It, and they say it's not that big of a deal. Who are you to judge me? I wanted to share this morning some of the rationalizations I've heard, but I thought it would be a little too close to home. You would be amazed over 15 years of ministry, the rationalization I've heard. Pastor, if you had to live with that, you'd know why I'm going over here. Pastor, if you had to, you'd know why I'm doing this. Let me just say, if you're not aware of sin in your life, if you are not aware of where you need to be better at following Him, then you need to be aware of it. Why? Because the more closer I get in my relationship with Christ, the more I realize just how far I have fallen. This past week, Freddie's doing these things where he loves to give surprises. And so this Thursday morning, I believe it was, I came down out of of our bedroom and I came downstairs and he just looked at me and he goes, Brett, I need to tell you something. First thought was, what would you do to the dog? How did you hurt the cat? What did you throw? How did you hurt the living room? Brett, I need to tell you that I love you. That's your surprise today. I drove over to the office in tears, just couldn't stop. Because I thought back to all the cruddy things I've done in all of my life. And I thought, how do I deserve a four year old who thinks the world of me? How in the world does a guy who's been through the stuff that I've been through, the sin that I've committed, is a four-year-old who looks to me and says, I love you. If you've never had those experiences, you need to. Because when you think you don't have sin in your life, or you've never sinned, or all those kind of things, it severely damages your walk with Christ. Since Thursday, I've been kind of humbled by all the things that have happened. And then we come to the good news. Here's the good news, and I'm going to close up rather quickly. The good news is Jesus is a friend of sinners. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, which we talked about last week, it says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Last week we talked about how we misrepresent that Scripture passage and we say what God's saying here is He won't give us more than we can handle. No, what He's saying is He won't give you a temptation or there won't be a temptation in your life. I shouldn't say He gives you that. But there won't be a temptation in your life that He doesn't give you a back door to get out. So when when you see yourself as a sinner, you'll see a need for a Savior. And suddenly you recognize... Jesus did not come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And that's the best news ever. Just this morning, we had an answer in Sunday school. Someone said, the, the question was, what is a sinner? Or something like that. And basically, it came down to the fact that I had to remind our senior high class this morning that Sinners are sitting here this morning. See, it's not them. It's not those people. That's why I kind of smirk and laugh sometimes inside when I hear somebody say, well, I wonder if those people are going to come to our outreach. (laughs) Those people are you. You are the, He is the way out. He is the truth. He will set you free. And He is the life that you need. The reality is, sin does not cost us, but Jesus is bigger than our sin. Sin does cost us, but Jesus is bigger than our sin. And here's the last slide. Well, the last one with words on it. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But then, oh, 1 John 1.9, praise the Lord. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. Friends, the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. As I said this past week, I sat in my office and rejoiced over how God had proven himself faithful in this cause over my lifetime. But I didn't end there. I had a solemn time of remembering how far I have yet to come. And after that time of thinking and praying, I did a little web searching for what others might have to say about this subject. In particular, about how do we handle sin correctly, yet not let us get get down forever. So with that being said... I found this video from John Piper. I want not you take a listen to what John Piper has to say about the subject we're talking about. It's only a few minutes. Take a listen.
1: Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, not against me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. My prayer is that you will be able to speak that into the face of your accuser. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. You make merry over my failure, Satan. You think you will draw me into your deception. Think again. When I fall, I shall rise. Yes, I have fallen. I hate what I did. I grieve at the dishonor that I brought upon the king. But hear this, O my enemy, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Yes, I'm sitting in darkness. You think that's news to me? I feel rotten, Satan. You're not telling me anything I don't even know. I'm miserable. I feel guilty. I am guilty. But that is not all that is true about me, my enemy. That's not all that's true about God. That's not all that's true about the cross. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Oh yes, my enemy. You've got a few things right. This much you say is true. I have sinned. I am bearing the indignation of the Lord. That's not news to me. But there... Your truth stops and my theology begins. He says, he, this very one who is indignant with me, he will plead my cause. That's what stunned me in this verse. God is mad at you with a fatherly, disciplinary anger, not a damning anger. He's very, very upset with what you did. Don't you realize guilt is to the mind like pain is to the body if you didn't have it you would have died a long time ago you don't know when you're bleeding you don't know when you're infected guilt is a glorious thing own it wear it it's a gift and be gutted in it my god whose son's life is my righteousness and whose son's death is my punishment will execute judgment for me. I was just blown away. I was just blown away when I saw that. I'm sitting under the indignation of God he's angry with me, and I'm saying, I will sit here as long as my dear God appoints for me to feel rotten until he pleads my cause and execute judgment. For me. Will God give you the grace after the sin to talk to the devil that way?
0: Will He? Will He give you the grace to talk to the devil in that way? I hope He will. Because we need to take the guilt and say, this is a good thing. It's a good thing that I feel guilty. However, we can't live in that guilt. We must present it to the blood of Jesus. and Say, here it is. You have paid the price for me. And so what I do does matter. How I act does matter. But when I mess up, you are here for me. And you show me grace. Let's close in a word of prayer to Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this day. Lord, this is a heavy message because it looks at the sin of our lives, Lord. And maybe some of us are here and we are currently just getting thoughts about where we were once before. Lord, may You remind us that Your blood has paid the price. That 1 John 1, 9 is still important in our hearts and lives if we know You as our Lord and Savior. If we confess, You are there to forgive our sins. But Lord, there's a part of that that we are responsible for. And that is us coming and saying, Lord, I have fallen short of who You want me to be. And realizing just how far You have come to reach us where we are. Lord, may we trust and obey as we walk out of here this morning. May we love You with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And may we be reminded of how far we've come and thank God for where we are under the blood of Jesus. And may we be reminded that how we act and what we do matters. To our Lord and Savior. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. Do fear your weakness, for when you are weakest, Christ's strength is known. Travel lightly, live simply, and honor those who welcome the gospel. And may God be your protection and safe haven. May the power of Christ Jesus dwell in you, and may the Holy Spirit be your guide forever. May we go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.